Welcome to Phantom Faction Podcast, a podcast to educate, entertain, assist, and guide anyone involved or interested in the paranormal. To reach out to Phantom Faction, see our Facebook page or email us directly at phantomfaction at outlook.com. Here's your trio of hosts, Dan, John, and Danny. Welcome to Phantom Faction Podcast, Episode 17. I'm Danny. I'm Dan. And I'm John. And here we are for Episode 17. Uh, last episode, we talked UFOs. And uh, this episode, we're going to be talking Bigfoot. That's right. So, uh, Otherwise known as Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. Right. There's so many different names, isn't there? Yeah. Yep. There's Yeti, Sasquatch, mm-hmm. In the Bigfoot. South, they call them Boogers. Boogers. Is that right? Boogers mm-hmm. in the south. That's what they yeah. call them down in the states. Boogers. They call them Yowie in Australia. Yep. Yowies. Yowies. And uh, what do they call them in Florida? They call them uh, oh, skunk ape. Skunk, 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 skunk ape. That's right. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Skunk, skunk ape. ape. So it's worldwide. It is. It's all over the world. And in Fergus, they call him Dan. No. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Our very own Dan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So that'll be coming up on on the show. We wanted to. Um, to thank a few people, of course, for all the the emails and the Facebook responses mm-hmm. that we've been getting. So, um, one uh, a lady was very concerned about you, John, because uh, Megan Megan was concerned about yes. you, John. And I, that was number fifteen, I think, that we were uh, yeah. discussing uh, that event. So, um, the update: um, I'm doing a hell of a lot better. Um, I spent about a week and a half of doing three times a day. Doing cleansings in my house, um, burning sage. I think now I finally got this thing out of my house. I'm not hearing sounds at night anymore. I never had anything again like that incident in my bedroom where I was paralyzed. Uh, But the sounds at night, even like the family was hearing them. Uh, And it seemed to be tormenting my daughter a little bit. She had uh, the sound of nails being dragged across her um, wall one day when we were doing a, a pot, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so no, I'm doing good, uh, back, you know, I'm, I'm tired from all the work I've done trying to clear my house, but mm-hmm. we're going to get back in the saddle and go at it again. Um, I think I've learned how to recognize some messages when I'm out of my league. Mm-hmm. And so we'll see moving forward. Yeah. And if I get the crap slapped out of me again... Then apparently I'm. You not. deserve it. Yeah, exactly. There we go. You got to admit, Dan, he does look a lot better. A little more color to his face and everything. Yeah, you. So, the yeah. last or a couple podcasts ago, you you didn't look good. No, I didn't feel good either. No. But no, yeah. I'm feeling a lot better, and yeah, you're, you know, and I'm all charged up on some poutine. You're ten percent less hideous now. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At least ten percent. At least ten percent. But <clears throat> it's possible this thing that was bothering me so much now could be bothering the big guy. Well. I've been drained like crazy yeah, all yeah. week, and even my wife, you know, like uh, yesterday I slept till three in the afternoon, <laughs> which is unheard of. Yeah, yeah. And the day before that I slept till one. Yeah. And today was wasn't too bad. It was only like eleven, eleven yeah. thirty. Yeah, you got a hitchhiker. No but, doubt. But uh, man, I'm getting drained like crazy. So I've, uh, but I'm not thinking about doing my protection either. So I think something's blocking me a little bit. Yeah, and so, maybe slow playing you too. Yeah, yeah. and maybe uh, you'll have to remind me, you know. I, I When I look at your house, I see black ooze, like that thing that I said came out of my cupboards. Right. When I was making coffee. And I just see it parked under your bed. So mm. I think you got to do some, some heavy protection stuff. Yeah. Especially your bedroom. I'll call them the big guns. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And ask but, for uh, some help. Yeah, <clears throat> moving forward in the right direction. Yes. Also had a uh, a comment which sort of relates to this on our Facebook page. Um, Chris had asked, "How does one discern legitimate and benign information from coincidence or negative entrapment?" So uh, that's a good question. That's a great question, right? Yeah. And I think you really have to feel out the situation and look for the logical explanation first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, so those noises could be coming from a furnace, or it could be you know squirrel in the attic, or yep, that's right, know, debunk. Whatever. So, and I think, and I think all of us do that. We you mm-hmm. know, we're first going to look for that logical explanation, and then it's uh, and 
we did, and Chris mentioned this in the in her note, was what about coincidence? And and my some of mine when the lights went out just as I was editing. That's a coincidence, but there's no such thing as coincidence. No, I don't it happened so. for a reason at that point. You Something know. got your attention, or yeah. wanted to. Right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's certainly look at the situation if uh, something happens, in my case, where the lights just suddenly went out and there was really, you know, at a point where I was editing. So that's, you know, yeah, as you said, it's just trying to get your attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so I couldn't really write that off as a logical explanation. So it, uh, to me, it's paranormal. Yeah. Agree. Right. And, and the other part of his question when he talked about uh, information, mm-hmm. that's one of the hardest things. Like, you really got to be confident if you've got, like, a, a guide or a protector. Like, you've got to know that it's you, them talking to you and not somebody trying to mask that. And, mm-hmm. But I think, <clears throat> I, I don't, I think we could figure that out mm-hmm. because they would ultimately, whatever path they sent you on, it's going to be negative, right? And I think that's yeah. how you, you would find it. Yeah. Um, Maybe people who didn't know or had a little less experience, maybe it's possible you could get yanked around for a while. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, if you have a good influence in your life, whether it be a, a guide that's a parent, an uncle, a grandparent, or whoever, they're not going to send you off in a negative path. Right. Um, Chris, I believe Chris might be a woman, um, but mentions here about finding a lot of dimes that she's doing that and uh, said maybe they were always there I do not want to invite anything into my home I have kids but I'm curious about how I could find out if I'm being sent a message well dimes are always positive positive though right yeah anything I've ever heard about dimes being found it's it's positive exactly it's always someone it's their way of saying hey we're here thinking about you we're thinking about you we're around you so yeah and here's some money yeah, it, yeah, you know what? And take it as a good thing. Yeah, take it as yeah, a good thing. Take and, it as uh, a good thing for sure. And yeah. if you do find them, try and take note of if their heads up or tails up, because I think uh, there's a there's a meaning. Is that right? I'm okay. not I'm not exactly sure, and I'm not going to speculate what it is. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think heads is better than tails, but it's still a good thing. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so yeah, don't yeah. worry about finding the dimes. Nope. Thank them and uh, send them to the Phantom Faction, and uh, yeah, we'll look after <laughs> we'll them for look you. After them for you. <laughs> uh, especially if if Chris is in the U.S. because that's like a dollar fifteen Canadian. Right? <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. Okay, it looks like uh, we have some guests on the line, John. Yes, we do, and I know I'm looking forward to it. I know our Phantom Faction Sasquatch size person <laughs> is interested in it too. We're we're big uh, Sasquatch fans. Danny's on the fence. He, yep. In a perfect world, I think you'd like to see one, and then you're you're there with us. Oh, exactly. I, d- I don't doubt them, uh, yeah. for sure, but uh, I've never seen one or had a, an okay. experience. But I'm not in the woods very much. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, from what we're going to hear, maybe it might be a, that might be a good idea. Mm-hmm. So, um, But I think when we're done talking to Peter and Christine from Ontario Sasquatch, mm-hmm. I think we're going to pull you a little more over to the Sasquatch side. All right. Um, so, uh, Peter and Christine, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're glad to be here. And now, Christine, you have a fascinating encounter that I have read before, before I ever got a chance to meet you two on Skype. Um, Do you want to talk to us about what you experienced when you were a little girl? Yeah, no problem. It's uh, very vivid in my memory still. Um, I was about nine years old. Uh, It was in August. I was born and raised in South Fork Pine, if you want to know that's near Timmins. Okay. And I was always um, quite uh, known for <clears throat> running around the bush. Um, where else did you play if you were from northern Ontario? It was in August when most of my friends, um, school friends and that, they go away on holidays. And so um, it was also raspberry time. And um, I'm, I asked my mother if I went up, which was about two blocks away, on a place called Legion Drive. I could go back in there and I could pick some raspberries and my mother would make me a little raspberry turnover. So um, the Legion Drive was made for uh, veterans and so when they made the uh, road and the houses in that area, they kind of just pushed all the bush back. So there was a lot of, um, you know, broken trees down there and it was sandy soil, so there was like a lot of sandy berms and on those would uh, raspberry canes would grow, and I don't like to be picked. So 
I was under one of these berms, uh, reaching up into pick some strawberry, uh, sorry, raspberries, and um, and as I was doing that, um, right in front of me, very very close, um, these two hands came out and pushed the raspberry canes aside. It's quite a vivid memory because I even remember seeing the fingernails uh, slightly cracked and and dirty. And next thing you know, I was looking at this face. Now, I know I was definitely shocked and quite stunned. Um, and, um, I, I All I remember after seeing this face, which was looking at me very quizzical, like it wasn't menacing, wasn't like snarling like you see some of the, the pictures that are reproduced of Sasquatch. Um, after that, I, there's this kind of ta- time lag, which we can talk whether that's a result of infrastructure or um, infrasound, sorry, or um, some of these other things that are put forward. I remember looking down and watching my feet and saying, you know, uh, don't fall, don't fall. And I ran all the way home. Um, I never felt that um, I was um, in, in any danger. I was just kind of shocked. Now, I was born and raised up north, so we didn't have homeless people. Uh, we had uh, prospectors. Uh, we had miners and this kind of thing. And we were very, very um, familiar with bears. You know, it wasn't, wasn't unusual to have a bear come in your backyard and you'd go out and do it away. So I knew it wasn't any of these things, but I couldn't really describe it as anything. So by the time I got home, I kind of, I didn't say anything to my mother which was kind of unusual because I usually could tell her anything, but I just kept it to myself. Now, I never really fully understood exactly what I saw until I saw the Patterson-Gimlin film, which was much later, and then it dawned on me that's what I had seen. Hmm. Now, the Patterson-Gimlin film, when I first saw it, didn't realize there was so much controversy. I just looked at it and said, Oh, that's what I saw. So it's another animal or inhabitant of of, uh, of, of wildlife. But studying it since, um, I've never felt that I was, um, that at any time would I have been at risk for being looking for them. And I used to, I used to take my kayak and I'd go all on my own up creeks and everything looking for any evidence until I found out that there is some um, some safety involved while you're doing this. I almost felt from a child that I had a kind of a, a special relationship that I was that close to that one. And and in sub- subsequently, I found out that I'm probably one of the very few people that have ever really been that close. So, like, literally, you were feet away from this thing. Oh yes, yeah, very close. Its hand was extremely close to me. In, in in studying it now, afterwards, with doing a lot of research, I'm wondering if it was a juvenile, and like myself, was just as surprised to see me picking raspberries as a as a human as as it was doing the same thing, eating the same thing. So you felt that it was probably just as curious about you. Yes, most certainly. It had it when it looked at me. It it almost made a quizzical face. It wasn't menacing at all. It was like, you know, the type of thing that uh, it looks at you and kind of turns a bit sideways and has, a, you know, doesn't, you know, just kind of looks at you like, well, what are you, you know? Mm-hmm. And I I can I can close my eyes. I can still see that face. So obviously, it had an impact on you that you continued to sort of research. Uh, Bigfoots or or this item? I didn't really, I never said anything to anyone because it's not that I was afraid of ridicule or that. uh, And then my uh, my son, who's um, retired military, moved out to Vancouver Island and he called me with these, like there was a, you know, a sighting or an episode close by where he lives. And he was going on about, you know, uh, Bigfoot and this and that. and, And that was the first time really I had any chance to share with anybody and told my son that I... I personally had an encounter. Um, my husband um, became a retired policeman, and uh, my husband and I went out on an expedition to Vancouver Island as a gift from my son. And that's when I really got hooked because I realized that it just wasn't um, 
the ordinary, I'll, I'll say layperson, like a hunter or someone driving down the road seeing one. There is actually investigators that are university professors and and involved in, in wildlife management and this. So um, so when I went out on that expedition with my husband, um, he was uh, he was a, a, a non-believer. My son brought him this as a retire, uh, retirement gift, and we went. And um, my husband said afterwards, they asked him whether he would uh, was a believer now. And my husband's comment to this was, I could take a jury of 12 people, and with the evidence that that is abounding out there with uh, hair samples, uh, footprints, um, fingerprints, um, I could convince a jury of 12 people that they exist. But we don't, they aren't the scientific minds either. So, so that was his comment that he, he did believe with all the evidence that is presented that they do exist. Christine, one of the things that I've uh, always heard in regards to uh, Bigfoot or Sasquatch is they give off a terrible odor. When you had your confrontation with this one, did you you recall any strange smells or anything like that? No, not anything more than you would uh, have in any other wood situation, no. Um, There is some some evidence to support the fact that there are are two types. Um, Native names differ all all the time, but I've done some research, and the Algonquin Indians used to call um, one of the Sasquatch, they called it Genesqua, uh, 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 and it meant uh, iron skin, and they described them as being very odorous and um, that would attack by snapping the neck of an, an animal or even a human. So mm. they called them that because apparently in that language, which I apologize, maybe I'm not saying it right, um, meant um, stone-skinned, meaning their arrows or spears wouldn't wouldn't uh, pierce their, um, their hide. But, I mean, comments from out west from these very um, uh, educated BRFO people say they think there's basically uh, two types, some that are malevolent. We've... They've seen uh, reports of people being um, helped, you know, and and then we we know the reports that suggest that there is one that uh, would prey on humans. So I believe there are two types. Um, I believe that uh, in the east area here, we've probably had one that's a little bit more malevolent than out west. But then, I mean, still here, they will warn you if you are in their territory. Um, they do warn. They throw rocks. Well, out west, um, I was sitting there and a tree was pushed over. Um, I mean, we didn't stay <laughs> when when an animal abilities and size. I don't know if you've seen any of the pictures. And this is this is disputed too. Like we dispute everything that they'll take uh, trees and turn them upside down. And I actually have a picture of one like that. So the strength is amazing. I mean, they're apex. Um, most most definitely, I believe that they um, have their own um, evolution, and they are definitely an apex predator, and that's the way we should respect them. You hear all, all you know the native people out west believe that they give them their their uh, hunting rights. The natives will uh, in the Nitnat area they will hunt uh, so far up. And the rest of that they leave to Big Brother or whatever the names they have. <laughs> There's lots. You know, if you wanted to ask me whether I would like to see another one and come across another one, yes. Do I ever want to see that someone has uh, been able to uh, capture them? No. Um, I believe that they are, um, I believe they're hominid. That's my belief. And, uh, and how do I support that? Basically, by I think the intelligence of the animal or the being, and um, and the fact that uh, it certainly can survive without us. Do you have from your encounter any sense of size? I know when I read it, like it really broad. Like if you had to just take a wild guess at you know how big it was, uh, how much it weighed, any idea of that? 
Well, I would I would definitely say if you uh, the way it was bent over and I could see its shoulders, mm-hmm. that would be very very similar to what I would see a, a very large, tall, huge football player. So you know, um, but those it's it was definitely leaning forward, so I could definitely see the the back shoulders of its area, and it, it looked it looked huge. So um, I never saw any I never saw it stand up or anything. Um, I just, you know, from seeing its face and I fell backwards and then the next thing I remember is running out and and definitely watching my feet thinking, don't fall, don't fall. So although I never, I wasn't sure that, I never had a feeling it was chasing me, but I didn't want to fall. Christine, you had briefly touched on something you were feeling like like you blacked out or something for a second and you mentioned infrasound. Yeah, I some question whether a Sasquatch uses infrasound, and um, Peter will talk more on that because he's actually done a study on that. But um, there was, uh, they feel like there there's um, infrasound can make you feel anxiety, um, that uh, fight or uh, flight kind of feeling, and um, and the, there's a there's a, a feeling that maybe that uh, Sasquatch use that. And I, there's this period where I don't remember from that feeling of falling backwards to running home. There's a time lag there, or could be an extended time lag. Um, so that, that I, I feel like I, by the time I, I ran home, um, I had this feeling of like, oh, disoriented. Like, did, did I see what I saw? Um, you know. As not telling my mom, well, would she question like exactly um, what did I see? Well, it, it, what I saw was very, very prominent in my mind, but I couldn't relate it to anything. And I need, I say quite strongly that I could not relate it to a gorilla. There was no way that the face had a more human look to it. It had an what they call um, uh, uh, an equine. Uh, the nose looked more like a human nose. It wasn't broad or short or flaring. The eyes, I mean, the eyes alone were, I guess you say, like, people can have pets and you look in your pet's eyes and you see that they they, they adore you or whatever. Well, the eyes of this one was, like, staring at me like it was some kind of um, uh, intelligent animal or being. So so I left, I, le- I left all that as part of a memory, you know, um, and something that I thought was... As a child, I thought, well, this was really special. What was that? I mean, we've all been, as children, like, you know, read uh, fantasy stories and mystical things. To me, um, that's basically what it was until I till I learned it was really something that other people see. Wow. I still can't imagine being nine years old and being a couple feet away from something that big. I probably very lucky. Um in the fact that I could have been one of those children that disappeared. But I never felt that it was going to harm me. You're listening to Phantom Faction Podcast. To reach out to Phantom Faction, see our Facebook page or email us directly at phantomfaction at outlook.com. Here's your trio of hosts, Dan, John, and Danny. Now, we thought maybe we would bug Peter. Yeah. Because Peter sent, sent us some really fascinating information. And we were wondering, Peter, if, if you could touch on uh, the report from Tomogamy. With the two missing girls? Yeah, if you could touch on that for the for our listeners, because I think a lot of people are going to find that uh, frightening and also fascinating, too. We had been uh, investigating some Sasquatch sightings in, in the Tomogamy area, and we noticed that there was some missing people, uh, hikers, berry pickers and stuff. So we started asking questions, and we heard about these two girls that had been hiking some years back and we still can't nail down the year or how long ago it was because uh, we'd never heard of uh, two people going missing. It was always single people going missing. So these two girls were walking up to a lookout tower and their parents were parked in a, in a parking lot at the, at the head of the trail and the parking lot's like 30 miles from the highway so it's, it's fairly remote. One girl stopped to relieve herself, and the other girl carried on walking up the trail, and there was a a scream, a gut-wrenching scream, and her friend uh, 
rushed up the trail to, to see what was going on, and her friend wasn't there. And they called in, uh, after she looked around, she ran back and told her parents, and they called in the OPP and the MNR and volunteers. They had uh, sniffer dogs up there. Um, they couldn't find uh, any trace of her whatsoever. There was no uh, no drag marks, no uh, evidence. So we think that the, uh, she was taken by a Sasquatch. And as I said, we've never heard of um, a Sasquatch attacking two people. But of course, the Sasquatch wouldn't have known about the friend that is back back down the trail. So this is the, the first time we, we've had this kind of, of evidence of a person screaming and disappearing. Now, Sasquatch kill deer by breaking their neck. It's their typical way of killing their prey. Uh, and we think that's why there was only one scream. Uh, her neck was broken. Since that, about that time, and when uh, David Pilati started uh, investigating with his 411, missing 411 books, uh, we, we thought about it. We looked at some of our reports, and we thought, I think it's time we stop going in the bush alone. We'll start doing the buddy system from now on. And that's what we do. Oh, sounds like a good idea. Wow. Is tomogamy like a, uh, like a hot spot as far as sightings go or aggressive encounters or anything to that nature? No, not, not really. It's, it's a provincial park. There's a lot of uh, canoeists and backcountry uh, hikers and things like that. Oh, it's a bit like Algonquin uh, Provincial Park. Okay. Um, well, like any, any provincial park, really. Not particularly any more Sasquatch there than anywhere else. Uh, we used to travel... Uh, long distances. Uh, I'm going back now about 10, 15 years. We might travel uh, two hours uh, by vehicle, then use ATVs to, to go a little bit further, and uh, and we'd look for Sasquatch signs. This was always in a place where I had an encounter. Uh, then we started putting a map together and putting all our Sasquatch reports on a map. And now we uh, we don't go very far at all because we don't have to. They're just minutes away. They, they come a lot closer to civilization than we, than we realize, especially in harvest time with a lot of cornfields around. Peter, over the years of your investigations, uh, what kind of evidence have you collected personally? Um, a lot of uh, tree structures and uh, footprints. Uh, but not, not remember, it's, you're asking personally. Um, if you're talking about our members, uh, then we ha do have a lot more evidence because, of course, it's a bit like fishing. Uh, you can go looking, but you're not going to see. Now, I've had a lot of um, vocalizations, uh, wood knocks, and, and that type, of, and we can hear them. We've had uh, rocks thrown at us, not, not at us directly, but thrown into the water close to us. Now, for some of the listeners who don't know what the wood knocking is, can you... Uh go into a bit more detail and tell us what that's all about? Oh, okay. Um, Sasquatch, I'll, I'll start with how it came about. We, we'd heard about other people wood knocking as well. We were going uh, along a trail one day and we heard two knocks um, on a tree on a, a quiet, sunny day, no wind. There was two knocks on a tree and about 200 feet away there was another two knocks. So that got our attention. So we, we listened, and later on we were able to determine that, from, from other people's experiences, that these are the day watchers. They'll have two, uh, they're nocturnal, so they, the, most of the group is sleeping during the day, and they'll have uh, a couple of sentinels, if you like, we call them day watchers, and they'll knock to warn that there's humans approaching. So we started knocking ourselves. We would go into the woods and We'd give a couple of knocks, and now and again, we, we'd get a couple of knocks back. So we started having a what we call a knocking conversation. We'd, we'd just <laughs> keep knocking, and they'd knock, and we'd knock, and eventually one of us would get tired of it, usually them, and, and they'd stop doing it. So uh, this has only happened to us once. We would give uh, a couple of knocks, and they would give a couple of knocks, and then we would give three, and they'd give three. And usually it's hardwood. Maple is, we use maple because uh, that seems to be the, the best sounding, uh, or the best uh, sound carrying knock. And uh, this is well known. Pretty well all investigators now use knocking. 
to get attention. And quite often you, you'll get a, a knock back. Now, a few weeks ago, and I sent you that one this morning, not far from here, you've all heard of the French River, so it, it's in that area. Uh, we were walking along a trail. There was four of us. This was uh, just before dark, uh, about 8, 8.30 at night. And we heard two knocks, so we stopped, and we got our knocking sticks out, and we gave two knocks back, and we, about 15 seconds later, there was a, a knock given back to us, so we waited 15 seconds, gave a knock, and this went on every 15 seconds for perhaps 10, 15 minutes, and then we heard a second knock from a different direction, and then after that, there was no more knocks. So we waited about 20 minutes and then we started walking back down the trail. It's very dark now. There's no moon. Uh, there's a, a pond to our right, to the west of us. And we heard this huge rock uh, thrown into the pond. And you can tell when there's a big rock because it gives that big uh, sound, splash sound. Yeah. And then there's a, a secondary sound after it. So it's a fairly big rock. Have you we ever just carried on walking and another 50 feet and another rock was thrown and then a third, another 50 to 100 feet after that. It was always just behind us, not exactly to the side of us. So I think we were being herded away because uh, um, they were tired of us uh, playing knock with them, I guess. And that's, uh, that's not unusual. Um, Peter, have you ever tried yelping? at them and ever had if you have ever had any responses back like any uh, any vocal stuff very often I'm going to let Christine uh, I don't have a very good voice for yelping with Sasquatch but Christine uh, seems to have more success so I'll let her answer that one alrighty <laughs> I went out west um, um, they, um, they would ask uh, the women to also and it's like a screaming very very guttural screaming um, and, and the men would do it too. We would do, we would do a triangulation and, um, and then maybe do a scream and wait for a response. And, um, uh, we definitely did have, uh, on an expedition that I went out, um, and, um, of course, like, you have to be careful now, like, foxes can sound like they're screaming, uh, cats can uh, sound like they're screaming, but this is a extremely guttural, uh, sound, um, and so I, I have done it here in Ontario. I don't find that a lot of investigators use it here. They do more of the, the unknocking. Okay. Now, um, again, if you want to be around, uh, we have quite a beautiful escarpment here um, in North Bay, and you, you seem to know the area. So if you want to get up on that escarpment and start screaming, you might cause a little bit more than what you really want to do. <laughs> <laughs> you, might, you might get the police showing up. You might get a few, <laughs> yeah, a few, few uh, policemen being called about screams out in the bush or whatever, and so there's no intention to do that. So, um, so yeah, it's not. It's, I would use it here if I was in very remote uh, area and have done that, but but I haven't had a response to it here. So. Okay. Uh, one of the most uh, exciting events that we've had, I guess, the adrenaline was flowing. That's for sure was uh, in 2015, in June, uh, it was late afternoon, and Christine and myself and a friend of ours who's a native trapper uh, were in a Sasquatch spot that's had several um, reports, and there's also a lot of deer there. And we came across a deer carcass and uh, some bones, and we found a Sasquatch footprint, lots of evidence of the deer changing direction very fast, so we knew there was a hunting party chasing that deer at some point. So we just sat there and waited. Um, and as it was getting dark, we heard two whoops coming from the, the northwest. And that was followed by two whoops from the uh, the southwest. And then a, another two whoops for a little bit to the northeast. And, uh, oh, they're coming. It's, it's, uh, we figured it was a Sasquatch hunting party coming back to the deer spot, the deer feeding spot. So we just turned on the recorder and sat down and the whooping went on for 10-15 minutes from the three different directions 
Um, it, did, it didn't bother us, so there was no infrasound involved. We think they were probably about... We knew where the one was because uh, he had, was at the bottom of a hill that we'd come down, and it was 75 yards, and the, the volume of the other two were pretty well the same. So I guess eventually they figured we're not going to move, so they, they slowly moved off. But it was that was quite an exciting time because we hadn't experienced that before. We didn't return the whoops. We just kept quiet. Uh, when we had uh, played the audio to some other people, uh, one of them said, that sounds like a barred owl. And we said, yeah, it does, because they do mimic mimic other animals. Hmm. So we sent the recording off to a lab and had it analyzed. And it was compared to a barred owl, and it's not a barred owl because at the end of each of the whoops, there's a, a very low kind of a, a grunt. It's almost not audible, but it shows wow. a growl. Yeah, But it shows up on the oscilloscope. And, uh, yeah, we knew they were Sasquatch because we were sitting there waiting for them. Christine, one of the questions uh, I have as well, when I look at a lot of the uh, the Bigfoot and Sasquatch stuff on YouTube or online, uh, I see a lot of people, I guess mainly in the U.S., they, they put apples out uh, and uh, they'll come back the next day and, and they'll be gone. You know, they'll put apples way up, you know, like top of a tree. And uh, I guess... A, a, as a gift. Have you ever done that? Yeah, we, we participated in a gifting uh, area um, in, in this North Bay area here. The, the one thing about fruit or vegetables and this kind of thing is you really, anybody can dispute the fact that they can be carried off by other things, you know, raccoons, you know, even things. But um, the, the experience we have here is um, um, one of our investigators was taking um, uh, peanut butter um, jar out and leaving things. And we have another woman in the area as well that has quite an interesting gifting area. But um, the thing that the gifting area with this peanut butter jar is that um, we actually have proof that uh, the peanut butter jar had been pushed in like somebody would push in a thumb into a, you know, like a, this was the, the actual plastic peanut butter lid pushed by a thumb to open it up to get to the peanut butter. Okay. So uh, imagine the strength of what it would take to actually do something like that, right? right. So this uh, this investigator is one of the ones that we have that's extremely uh, successful. So um, Peter asked him uh, to, when he was walking in with his gifting stuff, to maybe take the peanut butter and... Uh, jar and indicate that it with his hands how to open it how to open it and so he did that and then when he came back uh, to check the gifting area um, here the the peanut butter uh, had been opened and the lid had been screwed off oh, wow so like, now, so, like something w- was watching from uh, the shadows and the inside the peanut butter jar you could see where um, uh, something had wipe the inside to uh, to get the peanut butter out. So, and and I think that was really, you know, um, intuitive of Peter to see that what if they're probably watching. I mean, um, I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a, a video of a man who's um, sitting amongst um, woodland gorillas, and he's just sitting there, and when some people start walking by, the gorillas just, just fade back into the brush, and these people walk by, and they have no idea that gorillas are actually on either side of the track that they're walking on. So we know that these 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 um, Sasquatch are are are, um, are experts in their in their environment. So we have proof that they must watch. They must watch what we are doing, and and that was our proof. And I've never heard of uh, anyone else. You know, having that type of experience where um, they've used a gifting area and have proof that something extremely strong punctured the lid, um, and then the next time they learned how to unscrew the peanut butter uh, jar. Now, so, now does, have, does Bigfoot prefer creamy or crunchy peanut butter? <laughs> Myself would be crunchy. I'm a, I'm a crunchy kind of guy myself, yeah. so uh, I just had to throw that in. 
They probably like Reese's Pieces because we know they like chocolate. Well, <laughs> let, okay. let me know where you're hiding it, Peter. And uh, next time in North Bay, I'll, I'll check it out. <laughs> I, I had a question for you, two-part. Why is this animal not like public knowledge or well better known? And do you think like that, for example, at some level within our governments, they know about this animal and they just want to like keep it in the background? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yes, the answer for your second question answers the first one. We do have evidence that the government's aware. Um, we don't know why they keep it quiet. And it's not just the Canadian government, it's the American government in particular. And David Pilates will, goes into that. Okay. Um, are they afraid of panic? Um, Environmental studies. Yeah. That um, oppose a lot of industry and, and um, exploration of areas. Uh, uh, forestry industry. I mean, there's there's a lot of implications uh, of of what will happen. And I, you know, panic. I guess so. I think they'd still like to have, see people come and camp in parks. I mean, like they say, like you can say that ignorance is bliss with some, some things, right? Yeah. Uh, John Indernagel was a friend of ours. Um, I met him um, several years ago at. He's such a wonderful man, and he um, he was the same thing. He said, like, why with so much evidence the scientific community uh, would not get on board and want to try and study this? And um, and uh, it's it's sad that that um, we could never see that there was some acknowledgement from the scientific community about this. Although I think that with social media. And there's always going to be doubters. There's 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 no no doubt. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be people that can. Um, I mean, we laugh at, at comments about Sasquatch just as much as anybody. Actually, I, I make cartoons, but um, there is an, an animal out there that that um, defies. You know what really is happening there? We don't know gestation. We don't know. Um, we know that they build structures. We don't know why they build the structures. Um, uh, we know that he's certainly um, comfortable in his environment more than we will ever be. So um, it's, a, it's a shame that, that people won't take the fact that this animal, um, when I say animal now, exists. Um, we, we applaud John Vindernagel for his uh, efforts over 40 years. Um, and we applaud him because he, came, he went public with it. Uh, we have a few members that are biologists, um, and they talk freely with us, but they won't go public because uh, they uh, they know what's going to happen back at the university. Right. So uh, although they investigate with us, they talk to us, um, they, they won't admit anything publicly. So there, there must be a lot of other biologists that we don't know um, that are interested in the subject, probably study it in private, um, but they're afraid of losing their funding or, or ridicule or whatever, so they don't uh, they won't talk publicly about it. Exactly. And John Bindernagel was um, as such a, like a learned man. He was a biologist, if I remember correctly, and he yeah. was adamant that there's a North American ape. Is I think if I'm not correct, if I'm correct, that's how he termed it. Yes. Yes. I'll have to leave it at that. Uh, you can. You're going to be able to get more um, academia uh, except that it's an ape than a hominid. And okay. there again, there's always the, those are there for, and there's those that are, you know, against that. And I guess I would, ha I would have to follow along with John Bindernagel. Um, let's be able to prove it first it exists, and, and if that comes along the DNA line of it's an ape, then that's where we should be, that's where we should be heading with the general public. Okay, yeah, that that make that makes total sense. Now, if I put you on the spot, and I said, "What is Sasquatch?" How would you term it? Is uh, like, would you? Is it like a, our cousin, or what comes to mind with the work that you've done? What Sasquatch is? I, I'm only talking personally here. Um, I believe it's a, an ancient hominid. Um, it's more human than it is ape. Put it that way. Okay. Uh, from the behavior, uh, from the deep, a lot of hair has been collected, and DNA studies have been done on it. Um, up at Snellgrove Lodge, they even had some tissue from a 
a nail board that he'd left at the door. Uh, so they had some blood and some tissue. And all the samples, hundreds of them, that were analyzed from different places, they've all come back as human contamination. Yeah. Now, uh, Dr. Uh, Melba, down in uh, Texas, uh, Melba Ketchum, rather, down in Texas, she did a DNA study over five years, and she said that the mitochondrial DNA was 100% human, uh, but the nuclear DNA was of unknown origin. So that kind of confirmed to me and a lot of other people that, I don't know, 100,000 years ago, um, something mated with a human female, and that's what started off hybrid between a human and something else. I just, I just, from my own recollection of seeing one so close up as a child, I always looked at it as, as something that was more human, human than anything. Um, you know, um, and, and that I go by the facial expressions and the eyes, the the line of the nose. Um, certainly, it's something that that bridges. Um, myself between something else. Have you had any ex-military or ex-police contact you via the website and tell you anything uh, anybody, anything about cover-ups or any of their own personal stories that aren't you know out there in the public? Uh, yes, but I can't talk about it. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, yeah, we we have uh, a lot of lot more police officers that aren't aware of the cover-up. Uh, but they know that they're going to get ridiculed back at the police station. Uh, so th we have members that are police officers, and they're interested now that they've seen one. Um, the military people, um, they they say, uh, yes, there there is a, a cover-up, uh, and that's all I can say about it. This is a crazy question, but if somebody wanted to increase their chances to see one, or be in the area of one, any suggestions? Look at our map so you can see where most of the activity is and just go into the woods. Uh, don't go knocking or anything like that. Just light a campfire and cook some hot dogs and just act normal. And may maybe late at night, knock a tree. And this seems to stimulate some curiosity. Never alone. Yeah, never alone, never alone. Right. Uh, and you could play, they don't like vocal, but they, they do like instrumental music, like flutes and uh, drumming. You don't think they're fans of the Eagles or the Beatles, do you? <laughs> <laughs> they they particularly like the North American uh, native flute. Okay, already. Uh, we have uh, stories uh, um, about a trapper in a log cabin, and he had a piano. And he was playing the piano, I think I have that report uh, somewhere as well, he was playing the piano, and I guess it got bedtime, so he stopped playing the piano, and he went to bed. He was living alone, and there was some thumping on the side of the of the log cabin, and he didn't know what it was, but uh, it kept on thumping, and he started playing his piano again, and the thumping stopped, and he played for five minutes, and he stopped, and the thumping started again, and then he realized what it was. People that uh, have... Um you know, cabins and cottages and remote areas, and and it's so uh, strange that we've we've actually had um, now, generation now they're taking over these these cabins and and country places that the families are now finding out from their parents that the parents were aware of of um, habitation around their their camps, and but they they never frightened their children or anything, but now they. These uh, the new owners are taking over these uh, these places, and the the families are saying, "Oh yeah, we've we've had them around here for like thirty, forty years. We just leave them alone. We let them do their thing, and and uh, we don't interfere with them." And um, it's it's kind of strange that uh, that generation, our older generation, now has admitted to knowing of their existence and just um, kind of lived with them in in some kind of sense of uh, balance. We're contacted quite often by uh, property owners that uh, have some unusual activity on their uh, on their property, and we go and visit them and we chat. And most of them, 
are quite happy to have the Sasquatch on their property, and they're asking us really, uh, what do we need to do to maintain the status quo? And we say, just just keep doing what you're doing. You could put some put some food out for them, corn, apples, chocolate, whatever you like, just to show that uh, you're friendly. And we don't have any instances that I can recall where uh, it's gone downhill. It's always been uh, amicable. One one lady uh, plays with the Sasquatch. She's never seen one, but she'll take a deli uh, plastic uh, clamshell container, if you know what I mean. It's black on the bottom and clear on the top. Yep, yep. And food in it. And she puts it in a basket in such a manner that you could have to take it out with fingers so that she knows it's not a bear or something like that. And uh, it's too too big for a raccoon to take out. And she'll put it out, and within a day or two, the container's laying on the ground, unbroken, it's not broken, it's carefully opened and the food's gone. And she puts more food in and puts it back. And this has been going on now for about two years. You'll give them pork chops or whatever's left over in the kitchen or food. But uh, eventually she had to replace the plastic clamshell. But it did last for a long time. And it had no uh, puncture marks in it that would be expected from uh, a raccoon or something like that. Right. So, Christine, um, one of the... uh when I think of Sasquatch or Bigfoot in Canada, I always tend to think of British Columbia or Northern Alberta. Like even living in Ontario, I, I never really thought uh, too much about Bigfoot. I didn't. I didn't think uh, there were that many sightings in the province. Uh, can you give us some idea of how many sightings you've had in maybe the past year or or the past month or any kind of total? I was exactly like you 20 years ago. I thought that Sasquatch Bigfoot was just a a, a native myth from the Pacific Northwest. And then I heard about a few sightings in Ontario. So that got my interest and I started uh, investigating. And uh, I came across the Mangani maps, which you can find on Google Earth. It's actually a Google Earth overlay. And there's over 7,000 reports for North America. So that got me the idea about starting our own map because I'd collected about 60 reports, I guess, um, up to about eight years ago. So I started doing a map so we could see where they were in Ontario. So we're now on report number uh, 277, I think was the last one I did the other day. Uh, so in the last five years, we've added uh, roughly 200 reports, and that's just what we've collected. We don't think we hear about very many of them. Uh, we'll, uh, we, and we edit them. Yeah, and we edit them. Uh, we get we get some hoaxes, and we get some that we think they might have been misidentification, and uh, people just didn't see a Sasquatch. They, we don't know what they saw. But of the ones we've accepted, we, we've added 200 reports in the last five or six years to our, our map. This summer, we've had five, five new reports just between June and, uh, June and August, but three of those were our own personal encounters. I think we have to be thankful, too, that uh, we find now that, um, that our um, Indigenous people are... are um, are contacting us too because they're, they've had some sightings, and we appreciate that because we know it's um, um, for um, for Sasquatch for the Indigenous people, and I hopefully I'm not saying that wrong. That's offending anyone, but um, are um, that um, they have a their spirit as well. Um, they have a place in this in this universe, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and we've been quite pleased at that, that we've had calls from uh, from them saying that they've, they've had um, um, probably an encounter. There was one this summer. Um, and um, and we're thankful for that because we do respect um, it as, a, as a, a spirit animal, and we honor it that way, too. There, there's no intention to um, 
give away anybody's name or their information and or um and take seriously their their um their sighting for that i'm i'm quite pleased um and for that i say miigwetch hmm. okay hmm. and you're probably probably fine like us like we know there's a lot more people out there that don't contact us with you know the, the ghosts and the poltergeists that we deal with and you probably have the same thing for every hundred sightings there might be i don't know five 10 people. 15 come forward if you're lucky I think we, we might, and I'm only guessing the number, but I think we might be hearing about 5% of them. Yeah. Uh, quite a few reports uh, will lead to another report, and then we start asking questions uh, in the in the area, and, uh, oh, yeah, my neighbor down there saw one a couple of years ago, and one thing leads to another, and you get several reports from the same area, but you only started with one that actually wanted to talk about it. I, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, like you said, the government, you're co- confident and know all about it. And it, it makes sense in, in one way, because if there was going to be, for example, a new mine that was opened up, uh, having a Sasquatch where you don't know how many there are, where they travel, what their food requirements are, it's one more thing on an EA that would be a, a nightmare for a, a proponent of a mine or a, a forestry project. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. The Corps of Engineers in the United States in the state of Washington, um, they recognize Sasquatch, they call him Bigfoot, and they actually describe him in their brochure. And he, he's listed, Sasquatch, he is listed as just another indigenous animal. Uh, but they're the only ones that have actually done it officially. We're ready to wrap it up. We're pretty well out of time. Is there anything that you two wanted to add and where people can get a hold of if they want to report a sighting? Um, anything that you guys wanted to, to offer that we may have missed? Yes, anybody that wants to talk about it in confidence. Uh, we're only interested really in, in your experience and, and just to document it. Uh, we don't release any names or locations. Um, I do put the reports on the map, but I don't put them exactly uh, it won't be at the end of your driveway it'll be <laughs> in a, within a mile or so but uh, yes we're very interested and we can be contacted at uh, Ontario Sasquatch O-N-T Sasquatch at gmail.com okay excellent and one other question Christine would we be able to on this encounter report of yours put your wonderfully drawn picture up on our Facebook page? You certainly can. I'm sorry I didn't make it a little more detailed. Oh, no. <laughs> it's excellent. It's excellent. Um, it looks just like me. <laughs> You'll see when you meet him. I think I can send you a better copy, actually. Um, I, I knew that that image was in Christine's head for forever, and, and she, she drew it out. And then she did a, a kind of a color version, a bit more detail. And, and that's not on the report that you have, but I can send it to you. Well, that'd be terrific, because I know that our listeners would love to, to have a look at that, because it's fascinating. It's just, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I could send you a picture of the peanut butter jar, too, if you like. Sure. Yeah, of course. That'd be great. Because that's, uh, that's pretty interesting. You can actually see the shape of the thumb as he pushed it through the through the peanut butter jar. Yeah, like definitely not a bear. No. no. Oh, no, no, no. no. I, I do it with my thumb, of course, because I was wasting my time. And I couldn't even do it with a hammer until I really hit it hard. But you can see the width, the shape of the of the thumb as it goes through the, the lid. You can see how he was holding the jar and the amount of strength it, it took to do that. You know what, before we go, I just wanted to ask you guys one more thing. What's the like the, the size? Like the, when, when people say to you, okay, I saw something... Was it like seven feet, six hundred? Like, do you just do you guys get anybody that would like, or a consensus on say what what a kind of a size that people see of the of a Sasquatch? Well, the the tallest I've heard so far is fifteen feet, but that was down the end of a railway tunnel, and I, I kind of advised the guy that you, you cannot judge distance uh, or size in a a railway tunnel at that at that distance. Okay. But uh, realistically, uh, anything up to twelve feet. A Sasquatch, we think, goes up to about 10 feet, and the Junosco is a little bit bigger. He's the one that really smells bad. Uh, he goes up to about 12 feet. Now, we've based this on not just us, but with other organizations. Uh, there's actually a chart. Uh, they've, they've used human proportions, but they've taken the step, uh, the length of the foot, and uh, people's descriptions, and they made this chart of 
how you can tell roughly the size of the Sasquatch based on the step and the length of the footprint mm. using human anatomy uh, proportions. Uh, a lot of people have taken measurements uh, by observing the Sasquatch next to a tree and then they've gone and measured the branch. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, I don't think we have anything bigger than 12 feet. And uh, 8 to 10 feet seems to be about the average. Mm-hmm. All right. I guess we'll wrap things up right now. I really appreciate you coming on with us. It was fantastic. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. And I think in the future, I think me and uh, our, our resident Phantom Faction Sasquatch might want to come up and maybe spend some time with you guys if you would allow us. <laughs> oh, we'd love to see you. Phantom Faction Podcast, a podcast to educate, entertain, assist, and guide anyone involved or interested in the paranormal. To reach out to Phantom Faction, see our Facebook page or email us directly at phantomfaction@outlook.com. At